Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the wonderful gift it is to have your Son come into this world. And we thank you that you did not do it and then leave no record of it so that we could grow up in ignorance of this fact that Jesus, God himself, came into the world. But Lord, you left it recorded in your word. And it is your word. These are the very words of God that we have before us in the Bible. Lord, we still recognise that we would remain ignorant if your Holy Spirit did not open your word to us and help us to understand it. Lord, we are hardened because of sin and we need your help this morning. We have your word before us, but Lord, help us to not just have it before us, but help us to understand it. May you use me this morning to explain your word so that we can understand. May these words that I speak not be my words, but may they be your words. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, naming a child is no easy task. This year we had our first child, a son, and we had to try and pick out a name for him. We can't be nameless and we can't give him a symbol like Prince, well, the artist formerly known as Prince. Uh, We have to give him a name. It's part of the law. We have to give him a name. And so we've got to try and work out what name are we going to give the child. And so there's many helps in our society to do this. There are, of course, books that you can purchase that have whole lists of names and you can uh, get those and go through them or assign someone else to go through them, which is what I did. I assigned my wife to firstly go through and glean from there all the names that she was wanting to pick out. But you can even get books that tell you names that you shouldn't give to your child and they give the reasons why you shouldn't give that name to a child. But what are the reasons that we then give those names that we pick out from a book? Well, the first thing is uh, you discard names that you have bad associations with. So there are certain names that I have met someone in my lifetime who had that name and I now have a bad association with that name and so I don't want to give that to my child because I'll be reminded of that person all the time. So there's certain names uh, that are in my head and in in my wife's head that we just went, no, no, no. Um, There's one, uh, the name Fiona. I don't know if there's anyone here this morning who's a Fiona. But uh, there was a a girl at church when I was very small who used to pick me up and drag me around all the time and I really didn't like her. And so that was when I was oh maybe four or five and that has stuck with me for the rest of my life. Fiona, this girl who was really nasty to me when I was a a little boy. Uh, But then we also pick out names that we like the sound of and we discard those we don't like the sound of. So whether it's a pretty name a name that we like the sound of in our ears. And so uh, my mother-in-law said we, if we were to have a girl, I thought Jane would be a good name. And she said, no, plain Jane. She associated it sounding with the word plain and said, no, no, you can't name your child Jane. And so we, we discard names based on what they sound like. And then at the end of that process, for us, we then looked at the meaning of certain names that we liked the sound of, we didn't have any bad associations with, and we looked at what they actually mean in case they had a bad meaning and, and it was something that was uh, not that nice to give to your child. Unlike us, my wife and me, uh, when we were picking out names, we looked at associations and whether it sounds nice. In Jesus' time, it was all about the meaning. That was one of the main things when you gave a name to a child was about what the name means. They started with the meaning first. 
And see, Jesus is more than a name that sounds good, that rolls off the tongue or um, doesn't have any bad associations with it. That's not the reason Joseph and Mary gave the name Jesus to their, their first son. It's because of the meaning of it and because the angel, of course, told them to do so and they were obedient servants. What is the meaning of Jesus' name? Well, it's given to us in that passage that we just read, Matthew chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles there, Matthew chapter 1, it's found on page 1000, uh, no, on page 955, page 955, verse 21. Matthew chapter 1 says, She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It's about the meaning of the word Jesus. And if you've got one of the Black Church Pew Bibles, the NIV translation helpfully gives us the meaning of the word Jesus. There's a little footnote, little letter A, uh, on page 956 at the very top of the page. And if you follow that down to the margin, it helps you out and says, Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua, which means the Lord saves. All uppercase for Lord being the name of God in the Old Testament, that name Yahweh. Uh, that, is, that God reveals as his name and we translate it the Lord, all uppercase. The Lord Yahweh saves. That's what Jesus' name means, the Lord saves. So what does he save us from? He's a saviour. What does he save us from? Is it those things that I mentioned in the children's talk about saving us from those calamities that come along in life? There are many calamities that come along, those exams that I always dreaded and needed prayer for and that if you're involved in any church where there's a lot of youth involved when the HSC rolls around, one of the prayer points that the the youth request is that you pray that Jesus will save them from the exams, that he will help them. Health problems, Jesus is one of those things that we often turn to when we have a health problem. If you're diagnosed with a serious illness, a terminal illness, You quickly want Jesus to save you from that. Financial hardships, when we don't have enough money to get by, we want Jesus to save us from those financial hardships. Disasters, with strong winds come along and they're beating against the house, you might offer up a little prayer to Jesus to save you from those hurricane winds that are coming. War, in times of war, lots of people turn to God and ask him to save them from the war, save their children, their sons, as they go off to battle. Global warming. Is that something we want Jesus to save us from? The Copenhagen meeting wasn't so successful. Maybe we need to offer some prayers to Jesus to save us from global warming. Maybe from your family members, from parents, from your sister. I offered many prayers of for salvation from my sister while I was growing up. Uh, She was always a source of trouble for me and so I asked Jesus to save me from those. Are those the things that we ask Jesus to save us from? Is that what he is about? The Lord saves us from those things? No. The scripture tells us the reason he is called the Lord saves. Chapter 1, verse 21. Because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus saves us from our sins. Now what is sin? Jesus saves us from it. What is sin? And that's my first main point this morning. I've got four main points. They're on the the, uh, bulletin that you came in, the order of service there. 
The first is, what is sin? Well, the Bible defines sin as lawlessness, a breaking of the law. And what laws are associated with sin that we break? Are they man-made laws? No, they're God's laws. That is what sin is, a breaking of God's law. And God has many laws, but they can be summed up with two laws, two main laws. The first is, love your neighbour as yourself. If you love your neighbour as yourself, you are keeping all of God's laws concerning your fellow man. That sums up, don't murder people, because you don't want to be murdered. Don't steal from people, because you don't want to be stolen from. Sums up the law of lying. You don't want people to lie to you, so you shouldn't lie to others. It sums up all those laws with fellow, uh, that you have regarding your fellow man. And then the second law is love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love him. So you're meant to love your neighbour as yourself and you're meant to love God. And that sums up all the laws that we associate with God. The law of having him as one, not having idols, worshipping him appropriately. If you love him, you will want to know how you are supposed to worship him. And so those are the two laws that you're supposed to keep. Love your neighbour and love God. And if you don't, the Bible says you are a sinner. The first time you break one of those laws, you are a sinner and you're labelled a sinner from then on and you have sins according to your account every time you break those laws. So how does Jesus save us from this sin? We have sin. Maybe it's okay to have sin. Maybe it's okay to break all those laws. Why should I want saving from my sin? I quite like sinning. Why should I be saved from sin? Well, there's two main reasons we want to be saved from our sins. And the first is he saves us from the penalty of sin. And that's my second main point this morning. Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin, the punishment for sin. Why is there a penalty for sin? Well, it makes sense that there would be a penalty for sin, for breaking the law, particularly when it comes to not loving our neighbour as ourselves. When someone doesn't love you the way you love yourself, you want them penalised. So if someone punches you, you want them punished. You want to punch them back or you want to go to the police and make sure that they're penalised for what they did against you. Their sin against you is something that is wrong and you want them punished. Or if they steal from you, you want your goods back and you want them punished for stealing from you. And so it makes sense that there should be a penalty for not loving your neighbour as yourself. The thing is, we can't always catch those who sin against us. They may punch us and we can go to the police and work out, yes, uh, they're going to be punished now. But sometimes we can't always catch them and that goes for a lot of the sins that are in our lives. We can't always get them for what they've done against us. And that's where God comes in and says, don't worry, I've got it covered Everyone will be punished for all their sins against one another one day. I will make sure that all the punishments are measured out appropriately. And that's kind of nice to know that everyone will be punished for all their sins against you. So the next door neighbour who has been very unkind in letting his dog bark all the time and you weren't able to do anything about it, one day God will punish them 
for their sin of being unloving by letting their dog bark all the time. Or maybe loud music, and maybe the teenager next door who always cranks up the volume between 7 and 11, 7 a.m. and 11 at night, so you can't do anything about it, but he turns up the volume and you've got this doof, 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 doof going all day. One day God will make sure he is punished for being unkind to you. And so it sounds nice until you realise that maybe that includes you that all the sins that you have committed against others will one day be paid back to you. Maybe you're the teenager next door or you once were the teenager next door turning up the volume and playing the dance music. I think I'm a bit guilty of that one. And so I'll be punished one day for that crime against my neighbour. Or maybe it's stealing stationery at work. God will make sure that you pay for every pen you took, every eraser. Maybe it's sitting at work and doing absolutely nothing while getting paid for it. And so you're stealing from your employer. You're sitting there, you're receiving money and you're having no output whatsoever. It's theft. And God will make sure that you're paid back for that theft one day. There will be a penalty. God will make sure that there is punishment met out for every sin that you have committed against your neighbour. And that makes sense. But not just that sin of breaking the law of loving your neighbour as yourself, but also the one against God. You're supposed to love God with all your heart. And when you don't, there is a penalty for that. And that makes sense as well. If you were to create the world and create a little human race, and then they started inventing weapons and guns and shooting one another and being nasty to each other, they started destroying one another, you wouldn't be impressed. And then when you told them not to, they just spat in your face and maybe aimed the gun in your direction and were really angry with you, you'd want to make sure that they're penalised. These ungrateful little human beings that I created, they are ungrateful. They're not loving me. I made them to worship me. I made them to love one another and here they aren't. I need to punish them for what they're doing. It makes sense that God would want to punish us for the sin of breaking the law, of loving him with all our heart. So it makes sense that there's a penalty for breaking those two laws. And what is that penalty? Is it a slap on the wrist and that's it? Is it no big deal? We don't need Jesus to come into the world to save us from a slap on the wrist. I'll take it today. Thank you very much. What is the penalty? Well, it's an appropriate penalty. Sometimes we are angry with our courts for not giving the appropriate penalty. We think that it should have been a a bigger punishment that was laid on the person who murdered a close family friend or even a family member. We want to make sure they're punished appropriately. Well, God makes sure that we're punished appropriately and he warns us as to how that's going to happen. And that's that second passage that we looked at, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, chapter 1, I should say. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says in verse 6, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. How will it happen? Well, he continues, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God 
and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marvelled at among all those who have believed. The punishment, the penalty for sin is hell, everlasting destruction, where you will pay for all those sins that you have committed. But the wonderful thing is that you don't have to pay, that Jesus came into the world to save you from your sins and that includes the penalty of sins. The Bible is quite clear. How did he do it? Well, he did it at the cross. That's how God can be just and also make sure that punishment is paid. It would be no good if God just said, oh, you're all forgiven, that's okay, when you had people hurt you all your life and they should be punished. But Jesus in his love took the punishment that you deserve. On the cross he wasn't just being some sort of example of someone who can experience suffering and get through it. He was experiencing the pain and suffering and hell of those who are his people. He was experiencing hell on the cross so that he would be just and make sure that punishment was met but it was met in himself rather than in those people who did the sin. So Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin. But he doesn't just save us from the penalty of sin, he also saves us from the presence of sin. That's my third main point this morning. Jesus saves us from the presence of sin. He doesn't just save us from the penalty, but also the presence. Christians are not people who simply want saving from hell and then can go about sinning all they like. If you're that kind of Christian, you may call yourself a Christian, but God doesn't acknowledge you as a Christian and that makes sense. Why would he come to earth, die on the cross, experience immense pain and suffering so that you could go about sinning even more so that he experiences more pain and more suffering on the cross than ever before? No, he wants to save you from the presence of sin. And that's something we should all desire. Sin is a horrible thing. We shouldn't want it in this world. We shouldn't want to commit it ourselves. How many family gatherings today are going to be torn apart and upset because of sin, because of its horrible nature? We shouldn't want sin at those family gatherings. When you're out with your friends, you shouldn't want sin to be there. It is a horrible thing. And God can save us from the presence of that sin through Jesus Christ. How does he save us from the presence of sin? Well, he saves us now from the presence of sin. When you become a Christian, you actually have the ability to stop sinning to the extent that you did in the past. You actually have the ability to do good things. What does this mean? Well, it means that New Year's resolutions, which we all like to make each year and then all fail to keep, means that some of those, by the power of Jesus Christ, you can keep. You can be a kinder person. You can be less horrible. You can be more loving to those around you because Jesus is helping save you from the presence of sin in your life. And then not just now, Jesus eventually saves you from the presence of sin forever. As you become a Christian, you you sin less and less as you gradually make your way towards heaven. A Christian on a deathbed is still sinning. But once they die 
and go to be with the Lord, they stop sinning forever. And that's one of the most wonderful things about heaven. People think about heaven, they think all streets paved with gold, precious jewels, no more pain, no more suffering. Isn't it going to be wonderful? One of the most wonderful things about heaven is that there's going to be no sin there. There's going to be no horrible people being horrible to one another and that includes you. I am looking forward to that day when I will no longer be the horrible person that I am and I will have safeguards in place in heaven to stop me hurting those around me and to stop me hurting Jesus anymore. That it will stop altogether and the presence of sin is removed completely. So Jesus helps us, he saves us from the penalty of sin and from the presence of sin. But is that for everyone? Does he save everyone from the penalty of sin and save everyone from the presence of sin? Well, that's my fourth and last main point. Jesus saves his people from sin. And that's what it says in Matthew chapter 1, that passage that we read. Matthew chapter 1, page 956. It says, Give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Not everyone is saved from their sins. It's only his people. Now, who are his people? Well, they're the Jews in the Old Testament, but also Gentiles. I'm not sure if there's any people here with Jewish heritage. I'm a Gentile. I'm someone who is a non-Jew. And Jesus opened the way for me to become one of his people as well. It's not just the Jews that are his people. It's everyone who repents of their sins, says they're sorry to God for hurting their neighbours, for not worshipping God as as they should with all their heart. All those people who say sorry for that and then believe that Jesus on the cross took their sin. He took the penalty for sin and he's going to start taking the presence of sin away from them as well. You can be one of his children today. You can be one of his people if you say sorry right now, don't delay if that is you, if you've never said sorry for your sins, if you've never trusted in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for your sin, do it now. Say you're sorry in your heart and believe that Jesus died for you and immediately, right now, this second, the penalty of sin is taken. You will, when you die, not go to hell, you'll go to heaven. The penalty of sin is taken and then the presence of sin will start to be slowly removed from your life. If you truly repent and truly believe, you will not want to sin. You will want to seek God and do what he says. Love your neighbour and you will want to worship God as he has prescribed. And the presence of sin will gradually get less and less in your life. People will notice you're a bit of a nicer person than you used to be. What happened? The presence of sin has been removed because Jesus is saving me from my sins until one day you're in heaven and sin is no longer around at all. Jesus has completely saved you from your sins. Have you done that? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as Saviour? It is the most wonderful gift that you could ever receive on Christmas Day. You're going to get many presents today. I got 19 books this morning. I was very happy. Very, very happy. But 19 books doesn't even compare to the wonderful gift of Jesus Christ saving me from my sins so many years ago. 
and gradually helping me sin less and less. I have seen the presence of sin removed from my life. I've become more and more aware of how prevalent sin was in my life and so sometimes I feel like I'm a worse sinner than ever. But I was always that terrible sinner. I just didn't really know it as much as I should have. Certain sins I have tackled and overcome and the presence has been removed and I look forward to that day when it is completely removed. All sin is removed. Accept Jesus today. Repent of your sins. Fear hell. Fear the penalty of sin. And want the presence of sin removed. Do it now. Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your Son into the world, not so that we could have another public holiday and celebrate uh, giving presents to one another and have food and have some fun this afternoon. But Lord, you sent your Son into the world so that we could be saved from sin, saved from that eternal punishment in hell, that penalty which we recognise we deserve. Sin cannot go unpunished. We want people paid back for what they have done to us. Lord, we pray that all those things that we have done to others may be forgiven through the Lord Jesus Christ's death. And Lord, save us from the presence of sin. Help us to be better people by the Lord Jesus Christ. Gradually remove the presence of sin from our lives and then one day remove it altogether as we go to be with you for eternity in heaven. Lord, if anyone here this morning has not accepted this wonderful gift of Jesus, Lord, trouble him with his sins. Make them aware of their sin against you and let them not rest until they put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of their sin. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.